This is Sunil Rao, an interventional cardiologist at Duke University Medical Center, and you are listening to Interview with a Surgeon with a Surgeon Agent. On this episode of Interview with the Surgeon, welcome Dr. Sunil Rao, Professor of Medicine at Duke Health System, Section Chief of Cardiology at the Durham VA Medical Center, and investigator at the Duke Clinical Research Institute. He has published more than 200 papers in medical journals and previously served as an associate editor for the Journal of the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Journal. Dr. Rao has served as a chair of the 2019 annual SCAI conference. His main interests deal with pharmacological and interventional therapies for acute coronary syndromes, quality assessment and improvement in interventional cardiology, bleeding and blood transfusion complications among patients with heart disease. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Interview with the Surgeon. Today, we have interventional cardiologist, Dr. Sunil Rao. Dr. Rao, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's just jump right into it. What were your goals and aspirations during your residency, and how did those change during your fellowship? Yeah, so I'm one of the lucky ones where I had a pretty good idea of what I wanted to do when I was in medical school, you know, I got exposed very early to cardiology and cardiovascular disease and really um, enjoyed learning about it. Uh, one thing I liked about it was that there wasn't a lot of memorization. It was something that if you knew of sort of a fundamental set of facts, you could figure out what was happening with the patient. Um, and so I had very little career angst going through medical school. My goal in residency was really to get a good cardiovascular fellowship. Um, and um, I was always sort of interested in the academic side of things and doing research, and my interest is largely in clinical research. I'd done a little bit of research in medical school, but really started getting really involved in it during residency, and then even more involved in fellowship, and that makes up a large portion of what I do now in my professional life. Interesting, and thinking about, about that, you know, as you transition out of the fellowship, what was your mentality heading into the first job search process, and how yeah. that perspective changed in the beginning years of your career? Yeah, I think when the biggest change, honestly, is that when you go through cardiovascular fellowship or whatever subspecialty fellowship people happen to go through, you're joining a very, uh, an increasingly select group of people. So, you know, going, getting into medical school is hard, getting into residency is hard, getting into fellowship is even harder. And so when you're finished, you, you sort of have this sense that, you know, you just trained and you know everything there is to know and you're ready to get out there and tackle the toughest cases and do the hardest things that um, that you can come across. And the reality is that you will learn more your first year out of training than you did your entire training. And that's because there's a completely different uh, perspective when you are ultimately the person that's responsible for that patient outcome. So when I finished, I thought, you know, I was pretty hot stuff and, um, you know, uh, and I quickly realized after my first week as an attending that I was not hot stuff and I had a lot, lot to learn. Um, and I think that that humbling process is extremely valuable, extremely educational. And what's interesting is that the, the older I get, the more I realize what I don't know and the more humble I become when I'm faced with really tough patients. I think that that's really interesting to think about too. So with that in mind, what would you say were the keys to your success early in your career that allowed you to climb to the top of the industry? Well, um, yeah, well, <laughs> thank you for identifying me as someone who's at the top of my industry. That's nice. I, I think the, the biggest thing really is that um, I think you have to have a willingness to evolve and a willingness to change your practice. Um, you know, too often we see people who've been in medicine for a long time who are doing things the way they're doing, that they did it you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. And 
I think the reality is that um, techniques change, the data changes, the evidence changes, the way you should be treating patients changes, and you have to be open to that. And I think that's really what I, I think has helped me is that if I'm doing something and then some new piece of information comes along in the literature and I realize, geez, maybe I should you know, think about doing this differently. Um, I'm very eager to try and learn more about that and change my practice. If you're at the point where you're really sort of thinking you don't need to change your practice anymore, it's time to start thinking about throwing in the towel because medicine changes constantly and you've got to be able to keep up with those changes if you're going to provide the best care for the patients that you're coming into contact with. And now regarding you know, the, the career process and how you've kind of gone throughout your path, do you ever think about going pri private or were you always focused on the academic route? Oh yeah. Uh, you know, I think um, the great thing about cardiology is that there's actually a fair amount of research that's being done outside of university settings. So yeah, I've, I've considered it. You know, I have friends that I do research with and I collaborate with who are in very large, you know, practice groups and, you know, we've flirted with me joining those groups. Um, I think at the end of the day, for anybody, you know, regardless of what specialty you're going into, you have to be honest with yourself about what you really enjoy. Like, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Because the reality is, look, no matter what job you have, 85% of it is going to be stuff that you just have to do. You don't like doing it, but you got to do it. 15% of it is stuff that is really exciting, really keeps your interest, and you've got to focus on that 15%. For me, what really got me out of bed in the morning was interacting with trainees, mentoring people, uh, providing opportunities for research and for clinical growth for people who are in training or, or younger faculty members. That is very hard to get outside of a university setting. And so, you know, because that's so important to me, I've decided to stay in the university setting. But, you know, like I said, in cardiology, we're lucky. If you want to be in practice and not be affiliated with the university, but still do research, there are plenty of opportunities there. Sure. And then with that, you know, what advice do you have for the graduating residents and fellows entering the job market for the first time? And what type of advice are you giving to your current fellows over at Duke? Yeah. <laughs> so I actually do a, a lecture for the fellows uh, on, you know, how to uh, succeed at your first job. And, and the rule number one is don't chase the money. Um, you know, for those of us who have gone through training to become cardiologists, it's a really long road. You incur a lot of debt. Um, you know, it, it's a very selfish time going through training. You know, you tend to um, let friendships lapse. You, you may miss weddings because you're on call. I mean, and so it's a very difficult time. And the temptation is to take the job that has the biggest number of zeros after that salary. But, you know, that's a very, very short-sighted way of looking at jobs. What I encourage people to do is to, um, and it sounds dumb, but is to really think about what you want to do. Now, the reason it sounds dumb is that people say, well, I want to do cardiology. I said, no, 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 that's not what I mean. What I mean is the way you got here is by doing what other people tell you to do, right? So, hey, we need you to take an extra call. Okay, I'll do it. We've just added this patient onto your clinic. Okay, I'll do it. You got to think about what is it that, you, that really excites you? Is it doing research? Is it just doing clinical care? Is it doing procedures? Is it, you know, you know, really spending time with your family, in which case you need to think about what kind of job will allow you to have that mix. Um, and that's what I mean. And, and you want to get a position where you're going to be able to focus on what those priorities are. Look, it's no secret that the vast majority of people leave their first job within three years. And I think a lot of that is because they haven't taken the time to really think about what they like to do, and they haven't used that as a template for looking at that first job. 
It's a great perspective. And it's something I talk with clients all about is really know what do you want out of it? And I think that the transition that the medical professions face from going from student to professional job seeker, sometimes they're just not really equipped with what mindset they want to be going through that. So I think it's great what you're doing on that end. Um, can you kind of tell us a little bit about your involvement with SCAI and also the American College of Cardiology? Yeah, sure. You know, um, SCAI is a professional society for interventional cardiology. The ACC of the American College of Cardiology is the professional society for all of cardiology. Um, and I, I'm a big believer in getting involved in professional societies. And the reason is that um, I think that the only way we are going to, we meaning the medical community, are going to have a positive impact broadly on the practice of medicine is through professional societies. The role of professional societies is really to advocate for, for that profession. And SCAI has been instrumental in helping interventional cardiologists um, really sort of take a stand against things that I think have diminished the way we practice as they've been uh, a big advocate for patients and making sure that they get uh, appropriate access to interventional procedures. They've been a huge proponent of making sure that we maintain quality and make sure that we provide appropriate procedures. That is um, making sure that the bad actors, those who are providing unnecessary procedures, for example, are, are shut down. Uh, similarly, the American College of Cardiology has been instrumental in creating gu treatment guidelines. And so I encourage everyone to really get involved in professional society. At the end of the day, it's your profession and you should be someone who is willing to um, make that profession better. And the best way to do that is through the professional societies. Now with these societies, usually it's, it's a time of year to where uh, fellows and residents get a chance to intermingle with folks like yourself. But with the pandemic going on right now, everything's really virtual. Uh, just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on what advice do you have for the fellows graduating that would like to meet someone like yourself, but don't have the opportunity to do that in person. How can they go about doing it? How are you seeing them doing it? And what, how are you kind of advising them in that process? Yeah, so you're right. Everything has gone virtual. In fact, it's been interesting. You know, the virtual conferences have been really well attended. And I have to say, I've enjoyed them. You know, usually at the conferences, we're all so busy. We focus on the sessions where we're giving a lecture, or we're moderating a, a session. We don't get to actually learn anything. You know, we're running around so much, but the virtual conferences are nice. What I tell fellows to do is, I mean, this is what I did. You know, I literally just emailed people who um, I thought would be someone who would be able to give me good advice. I didn't know them. They were at a different institution. I found their email address either through a paper they had written or somewhere online and just emailed them. You would be amazed at how accommodating people in medicine are, particularly for younger folks. So I encourage fellows in training, if you, you, know, if you want to get advice on career from someone who is an electrophysiologist and you want to do electrophysiology, I would recommend just emailing them. You'd be amazed at, uh, at the fact that they will be willing to reach out to you and willing to actually provide you with some advice and some guidance involved in, I mean, this is a, a very unique aspect of academic medicine is the, the whole um, sphere of peer-reviewed publishing. And I got interested in it primarily because I was doing a lot of research and then eventually joined the editorial boards of some journals, became the associate editor of a journal. Uh, and then when the opportunity came for me to be the editor-in-chief of an interventional journal, um, it was something that I really enjoyed. And so I took, uh, took on that role. Um, it's, it's a very, very um, time-consuming kind of thing, but if, like anything else, if you enjoy it, you don't feel like it's taking up a lot of time. I really enjoy it. It's a way for me to keep in touch with um, a lot of different research groups around the world. Uh, it's a way to be creative about how to disseminate research information. I think the old days of, you know, getting the journal in the mailbox 
uh, and then reading it from cover to cover are probably over. You know, this generation consumes information so quickly and they do it through social media and they want, you know, sort of give me the bottom line kind of thing. And so, you know, being able to take the, um, the journal into that kind of a, of a modern or futuristic uh, paradigm has been really exciting and kind of fun to do. We have an assistant editor program for people who are within three years of finishing training, young junior faculty members who are uh, involved in academic work. They help us on the editorial side, so they understand what the publishing process is like. Um, it's been incredibly rewarding. And so, uh, and one of the things that we pride ourselves on is that if there are people who are trainees who are thinking about submitting a paper, and they're not really sure if it's um, you know uh, correct for, for our journal, I encourage them to reach out to me confidentially, send me your paper. I will get back to you within 24 hours. You know, you know, I'll keep everything confidential. There's no obligation. I'll give you my honest feedback about whether we think that your paper will have a shot at our journal or whether it may be faster for you to submit it uh, you know, somewhere else. We're trying to create a dialogue between the authors and the publishing world where we can actually facilitate research rather than try to be a, uh, some kind of a roadblock. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Interview with the Surgeon. Until next time, stay focused and keep following your dreams.